Section 35 of A Failure of Initiative. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary J. A Failure of Initiative. Final Report of the Select Bipartisan Committee to Investigate the Preparation for and Response to Hurricane Katrina by the United States House of Representatives. The Military, Part 6. Finding. Joint Task Force Katrina, the National Guard, Louisiana, and Mississippi lacked needed communications equipment and the interoperability required for seamless on-the-ground coordination. Reliable communications were the exception in the aftermath of Katrina. Even Honoré experienced communications problems. Honoré moved into Camp Shelby before he had the communications equipment necessary to support JTF Katrina. Honoré's staff was frustrated at the lack of communications equipment. According to a Navy after-action report, at this stage it is believed that when the commander leaves Camp Shelby in the morning and returns in the evening, the staff's only access to communicate with him is through a borrowed Nextel cell phone and his BlackBerry. The Navy reported that the USS Iwo Jima did have task force-capable communications equipment during the first ten days of the storm that would have been of great help to General Honoré. Bloom also noted that one critical area where we lack integration is in interoperable communications. National Guard units do not have the equipment necessary to effectively share information with Title X forces. This caused significant challenges on the ground that then bubbled up the chains. At the time of Katrina, Northern Command had yet to establish standardized communications architecture or to identify the system and information requirements to be used during homeland response operations. Oxford Analytica reported, since September 11th, emergency response planners have recognized that during a major disaster, local communication systems would be disrupted or disabled, and communication between federal, state, and local officials is a particularly weak link in coordinating emergency response. Katrina showed that little has been accomplished to fix this disconnect. Within the military, the National Guard was hindered by a shortage of communications equipment. These shortcomings suggest that the Pentagon does not assign homeland defense a sufficiently high priority. The loss of communications infrastructure in Mississippi and Louisiana due to hurricane forces caused a great deal of confusion for days following landfall. Communication outages that occurred in state emergency offices also caused problems in situational awareness. The state adjutant general of Mississippi on the Gulf Coast could not reach the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency in Jackson until two days after landfall. When cell phones and towers were destroyed or lost power, states were not equipped with backup communications capabilities, even with guard forces. According to Cross, one of the biggest lessons learned was the need to adequate redundant communication systems with an emphasis on satellite backhaul capability in the event of cellular and landline failure. Obviously, this type of equipment requires resourcing. The Mississippi National Guard received $29,100 for fiscal year 2005 for military support to civil authorities. $8,000 of this amount was applied to pay the satellite phone service bill for the seven satellite phones currently on hand. In order for the Mississippi National Guard to be prepared to respond to catastrophic events, it must be funded accordingly. The Louisiana National Guard also experienced problems with lost or weak communications infrastructure. Immediately after Hurricane Katrina passed, the Industrial Canal levee broke, flooding the National Guard headquarters at Jackson Barracks. The Guard had to abandon its headquarters operations center and establish a new one, including new communications connections, at the Superdome. Re-establishing these communications was greatly facilitated by the arrival of the state's Weapons of Mass Destruction, WMD, Civil Support Team, CST, and its Emergency Communications Suite. 
However, the National Guard in Louisiana was also plagued by problems with the state's 800 megahertz public safety radio system, which it shares with the state's law enforcement and other public safety agencies. State officials said this system was about 11 years old and limited to 48 channels. They said it was not designed to handle thousands of calls, so the volume of calls after Hurricane Katrina overloaded the system. In addition, one of the state's three 800 megahertz relay towers, the Beerus Tower in Plaquemines Parish, was toppled by the hurricane, which further degraded the capacity of the system. Louisiana National Guard officials cited the weaknesses in this system as one of the reasons they had problems communicating with the state's emergency operations center in Baton Rouge. The National Guard Bureau confirmed that its liaison teams should also be deployed with significant mobile communications. The Louisiana NGB liaison officer was equipped with a satellite phone, which was critical during the first days of response. Finding EMAC processing, prearranged state compacts, and guard equipment packages need improvement. Although there was a consensus among federal, state, and local officials that emergency mutual assistant compacts worked very well, the current EMAC approval process is cumbersome and therefore not fast or suited to a large-scale emergency. While initial adjutant general to adjutant general coordination allowed for rapid deployment of National Guard forces during Katrina, the sheer size of the emergency pointed out weaknesses in the current system. As key communications infrastructure was taken out, the ability to negotiate state-to-state -state compacts became difficult, if not impossible. In the hours immediately following landfall, when it was needed most, offers of assistance from states all over the country were delayed in the EMAC process, as other states' invaluable assets were not immediately visible to the states affected. The National Guard Bureau stepped in to help the Gulf State Adjutants General prior to landfall and increased its management of requests for National Guard forces throughout the response, but some states still use the standard EMAC process through the National Coordinating Committee, NCC. As both the National Guard Bureau and the NCC tried to anticipate requests, this dual-track approach for requesting troops caused confusion and duplicated efforts. Better coordination between the NGB and the NCC was needed. In addition, not all National Guard personnel are trained in the EMAC process. Louisiana National Guard officers seem to lack the knowledge and experience necessary to manage the tremendous surge of requests for assistance, as well as field offers from other states under EMAC. This inexperience was one of the reasons the National Guard Bureau played an unusually large role in the EMAC process. More familiarity with the EMAC procedures and assets by Northern Command and other federal forces would also have enhanced joint response efforts and given them a better appreciation of National Guard capabilities. Finding Equipment, personnel, and training shortfalls affected the National Guard response. Needed equipment and manpower the Army National Guard relied heavily on its aviation units and found that helicopter-hoist-equipped aircraft resulted in immediate and successful search-and-rescue operations. Current Army doctrine, however, does not provide sufficient numbers of hoist-equipped aircraft to its Guard counterpart, nor stage them regionally to support responses to events of significant size. For example, the Mississippi National Guard needed more airlift and helicopters immediately. Cross suggested prearranged state compacts for hurricane assets, especially search-and-rescue aviation assets, would make these assets more readily available and not run the risk they could not be obtained through EMAC requests. The Air National Guard also relied heavily on its airlift capabilities during Hurricane Katrina. The Air National Guard flew 351 missions with C-130s between August 30th and September 6th. Air National Guard personnel reported that the C-130 is the ANG workhorse moving equipment for the National Guard such as CSTs, EMEDs, and civil engineering equipment into areas with moderate to heavy infrastructure damage. The Guard can't have enough of them for responding to major homeland emergencies. They are essential. 
New aircraft, like the C-17, are better suited to carry oversized equipment, such as the Rapid Engineer Deployable Operational Repair Squadron Engineer, Red Horse Squadrons. But the limited number of C-17s in inventory require its use to take care of warfighting requirements overseas. This 404-person mobile construction squadron does it all. Rapid damage assessment, repair, contingency, heavy construction operations, such as roads and ramps. Red Horse squadrons were invaluable during Katrina. At the time of Katrina's landfall, Northern Command had not yet articulated specific requirements or capabilities that National Guard forces need during major homeland disasters. Without established formal requirements, the equipment deemed necessary for the National Guard to assist civilian authorities in Katrina had not been purchased by the Department of the Army and the Department of the Air Force. The military departments only establish units and procure equipment for which formal mission requirements have been validated, like Title X warfighting missions abroad. Northern Command has yet to determine, with or without input from DHS, which specific military assets should be dedicated to provide military assistance to civilian authorities, in part because DHS has not articulated the requirement to DOD in any formal manner. Therefore, at the present time, DOD does not require the purchase of equipment specifically for homeland defense or military assistance to civilian authorities for the National Guard. Attempts to rent needed equipment were complicated by the great demand for heavy machinery created by the storm. Cross noted that contractors responding to other federal, state, and local requests for assistance leased the same type of equipment sought by the National Guard, leaving little available for National Guard use. In a National Guard after-action review dated September 2005, it was strongly recommended that the Department of Defense identify the Continental United States mission as a valid requirement and equip it as a valid tasking. I was there. I saw what needed to be done. They were the fastest, best capable, most appropriate force to get there in the time allowed. And that's what it's all about. General Bloom. Hurricane Katrina required significant National Guard manpower, and quickly. With the current level of 457,000 personnel in the National Guard, the Katrina response demonstrated the Guard response was not hindered by the deployment of Guard troops to support the war on terrorism. According to Bloom, although National Guard from the affected states were deployed overseas, Guardsmen from surrounding, and then other states, quickly supplemented the effort. At landfall, over 40% of the Mississippi Guard, some 4,200 troops, were deployed overseas. Fortunately, critical engineering units and military police units were home. In Louisiana, Blanco asked for the immediate return of Louisiana National Guard troops from Iraq, but the National Guard Bureau was satisfied it could provide sufficient troops from other states to meet the needs of Louisiana more quickly than trying to extract Louisiana troops from combat operations in Iraq. The Joint Staff and Center for Army Lessons Learned were very impressed at the ability of the Guard to mobilize and move a corps worth of personnel and equipment in four days. Nonetheless, organizational challenges surfaced in this rapid deployment. The National Guard forces flowing into the staging areas at Alexandria, Louisiana, and to the Naval Air Station New Orleans at Belchasse arrived so quickly that the number of guardsmen assigned to process and task these units was too small. The capabilities of each unit were not readily known by the logistics personnel tasking officers, causing further delays. A lack of well-defined personnel and equipment packages by the Department of Defense to support civilian authorities in large disasters degraded instant tasking of units deployed to Louisiana. General DOD development of regional strike forces composed of various National Guard units would have done a great deal to mitigate the effects of a large natural disaster or other catastrophic event. Hurricane equipment packages for the Guard should be developed by the Department of Defense to help them provide more adequate assistance to civilian authorities in the future, Cross said. 
Current law hindered some congressionally mandated National Guard Civil Support Team's response. Congress established WMD Civil Support Team's, CSTs, to deploy rapidly to assist local incident commanders in determining the nature and extent of an attack or incident, provide expert technical advice on WMD response operations, and help identify and support the arrival of follow-on state and federal military response assets. The first ten teams were funded as part of the National Defense Appropriations Act for fiscal year 1999. Each team consists of 22 highly skilled full-time National Guard members who are federally resourced, trained, and exercised in chemical, biological, and nuclear specialties, and skilled in reconnaissance, medical support, logistics, administration, communications, air liaison, and security. In these capacities, especially the use of their communications vehicles, the National Guard CSTs proved invaluable to the Katrina response. On September 2nd, a JTF Katrina official relayed a report from the National Guard Bureau that CSTs from Connecticut, North Carolina, Nebraska, Utah, Arkansas, West Virginia, Indiana, Kansas, Alabama, and the District of Columbia were en route to the Gulf Coast. During Katrina, there was confusion regarding the legal aspects of CST deployment, as some states interpreted the law to mean they were only authorized to be used for WMD incidents, and only in their states. This interpretation delayed deployment of these vehicles to Mississippi. Lieutenant Colonel Smithson of the Mississippi National Guard said, CSTs saved the day. I just wish they were here sooner. Clarifying that they are available for use beyond WMD events would have greatly enhanced states' abilities to react quickly to the Katrina disaster. Guard personnel categories caused confusion. Multiple types of duty status of National Guard personnel presented some legal challenges in the proper employment of forces. State military lawyers interpreted laws, regulations, and policies pertaining to the various statuses and units of assignment very differently, which caused unnecessary delays. Delays in the Title 32 approval process, previously identified, added to the difficulty. The National Guard Bureau May 23, 2005 After Action Report on Top Off 3 found, as highlighted in Operation Winter Freeze, the Democratic National Convention, the Republican National Convention, and the G8 Summit, and further during Arden Century 05 events, the Title X, Title 32 approval process must be standardized. Current process is lengthy, largely undefined, and requires excessive time periods for approval. Emails from various state adjutants general began to arrive at the National Guard Bureau immediately after landfall, inquiring about changing all Guard response to Title 32. The National Guard Bureau agreed with these suggestions and began to actively discuss this status change with the Department of Defense. On September 2nd, 4th, and 5th, respectively, Governor Riley of Alabama, Governor Barber of Mississippi, and Governor Blanco of Louisiana wrote to the Secretary of Defense to formally ask that all National Guard personnel responding in their states be put on Title 32, Chapter 9, a new operational section of Title 32 that allows for the National Guard to perform homeland missions under Governor control. The Select Committee believes the Guard response in Katrina would have been more effective had the decision to place National Guard troops in Title 32 status been made earlier by the Governors, the National Guard Bureau, and the Secretary of Defense. Lack of Unified DoD Support for Enhanced Guard Resources under Title 32 A September 10th NGB email to Bloom indicated frustration at the lack of understanding by the Army and Air Force and some DoD offices of Title 32 and the resources that were to flow to the National Guard of states participating in the Katrina response. Currently, there are no clear directives for the use of Title 32 National Guard homeland missions, so the confusion was not unexpected. The email indicates, however, that some officials in DOD did not totally embrace the use of Title 32 during the Katrina response. The email stated specifically that the Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Reserve Affairs, Craig During, 
expressed that Title 32 would only apply to the three affected states, that service secretaries must get approval from the Deputy Secretary of Personnel and Readiness before issuing any orders, and that the Office of Reserve Affairs will run this and have a matrix of needed information that will be required before any consideration is given to funding of Guard activities. Even though the Deputive Secretary of Defense approved the use of Title 32 on September 7th, uncertainty within the Pentagon on Title 32 parameters required the National Guard Bureau to ensure Title 32 status for those states who had rushed in to help. Lack of Training for Military Assistance to Law Enforcement MSCLEA Before the storm, the Louisiana National Guard opened the Superdome for evacuees with a minimal number of staff, many of whom were not military police or formally trained for crowd control operations. On Monday night, August 29th, when an increased number of Louisiana National Guard arrived at the Superdome, they found many Guard personnel working at checkpoints alone, with no handheld radios and unarmed. Though the crowd was generally peaceful, even when the plumbing failed, these soldiers were in a volatile situation they were not trained to handle. An Army National Guard after-action report dated September 21st found these Guard personnel were not properly trained to respond to areas where there are a large number of civilians, resulting in risk to their safety and the safety of others. McHale indicated the Pentagon is interested in enhancing training for National Guard in this homeland role. I think we will be looking at formalizing the training, equipment, and deployment capability associated with National Guard military police units, McHale said. Finding. Search and rescue operations were a tremendous success, but coordination and integration between the military services, the National Guard, the Coast Guard, and other local, state, and federal rescue organizations was lacking. During the first four days, no single organization or agency was in charge of providing a coordinated effort for rescue operations. Admiral Timothy Keating, Commander, Northern Command. Urban search and rescue operations are multi-agency in nature, and no standardized federal system currently exists to effectively integrate operations. The lack of a coordination mechanism and standardized processes led to duplication of effort in some locations, and a lack of response in others. Each military entity relied on its own airspace coordinators during the first critical days, which also contributed to a lack of awareness of who was doing what. In New Orleans, the Louisiana National Guard and the U.S. Coast Guard maintained separate tactical operations centers for airborne search and rescue missions. The National Guard had its tactical operations center with Task Force Eagle at the Superdome, and the Coast Guard had its tactical operations center at Belshaw's Naval Air Station. The two entities divided up areas and ran separate operations. Because of the urgent emphasis on getting victims to high ground, the drop-off points were not well coordinated. While some were dropped off at the Superdome, which provided shelter, food, and water, others were dropped off at the Convention Center, which provided only shelter, and others were dropped off on freeway overpasses or levees, with nothing at all. The philosophy at that point was to save first, then worry later about providing other relief. This situation resulted in people being saved from the floodwaters, but then suffering, some for days, in sweltering conditions, with or without food and water. End of section 35